Words FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to part one of an interview with Dr. Lee Merritt. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and this evening is Friday, October 7th in the year 2022. And tonight we have a very special two-part episode of Bards FM with an interview with Dr. Lee Merritt. In fact, I did this interview a number of weeks ago, and it's really so timely even now. So you're going to hear some references to some things that happened a number of weeks ago in the art, in the interview tonight, but I think you'll find it very insightful. And it's just, again, another great interview with one of the great minds of our time. Now, Patriots, before we begin, make sure you're taking good care of your family. That means ensuring you have the proper safety and proper protections for your family in this very trying times. One of the great products that we have to support that is iTarget. You know how passionate I am about our Constitution and especially the Second Amendment, but just as passionate about being responsible and protecting my family. I discovered the perfect way to train with your firearm in the comfort of your own home and continue to improve your skills. It's called iTarget Pro, and this system is a game changer for me. All I did was download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into my firearm, and start training. The system develops muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. Right now, save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to itargetpro.com. With the cost of ammo through the roof, this is the perfect solution for you. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. The offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you definitely need. So, Patriots, without further ado, let me introduce Dr. Lee Merritt. Well, Patriots, we once again have one of our favorite doctors in this fight, Dr. Lee Merritt, on. And a great honor, as always, to have her on. And I think for today, we're going to have a really good conversation like we typically do. There's no limits, and you never know where we're going to go, but I guarantee it will be interesting. So, Dr. Merritt, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks very much. Always fun. So, tell us a little bit first what you've been up to, because I know you've been busy. Yeah, I've been out speaking and doing podcasts and stuff. And I, I tried to write, I tried to start a Substack, and I, it was, I thought it was pretty good. It was on the great DNA war against humanity. And my first one was um, taking a little, somebody sent me a little snippet, okay, of an X-Files. And it was a, I, I'm probably the only American that's never really watched one episode of X-Files or Seinfeld. <laughs> I might have the world record there. But anyway, but I knew I know about X-Files. Anyway, so in this, in this snippet, this little video, the female agent was saying that, she comes running into this, you know, lab looking place and she says, wait, wait, it's not a vaccine. It's a depopulation agent. And they start saying, oh, that's conspiracy. And she says, no, 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 it's got CRISPR-Cas9 in it. 
so somebody sent me this and you know i get a lot of stuff sent to me and i kind of went oh yeah yeah it's predictive programming de depopulation agent well in the middle of the night i kind of my eyes you know slammed open and i said wait a minute what's this whole thing with crispr cas9 if they're going to give us predictive programming why did she say that so i kind of went back and re under you know i've had to teach myself a bit of genetics but here's basically what it is crispr cas9 is the thing that makes um makes gmo foods possible essentially because it's an it's a it's something that exists it's a technique or an enzyme that exists in um uh, bacteria and it's an antiviral thing for bacteria but it doesn't exist normally in us and what it allows you to do is to do a double-stranded dna cut now what that means is this let's say i wanted to make a big stock a tall celery i wanted to give us a new gmo we're going to have better celery i'll make it taller so for the same ground we can grow more food right so i if i just put this tall gene into a parent plant or even two parent plants and i and i breed them and i let it go the way that god has very cleverly you know made our dna resistant to that kind of to getting aberrant genetic material in it is it just dilutes out because you can only give it to half of your children and they can only give it to half of their children and on down the line until in a few generations it just just diffuses out like a little bit of poison in the pacific ocean it just goes away you know well with crispr cas9 it ensures that that abnormal gene or piece of gene goes into every 100% of your offspring, 100% of their offspring, and 100% of their offspring. So it means that in 10 generations or less, depending on the speed of the, the, the time, I mean, the reproductive rate and everything, but in 10 generations, in a few years, the celery is gonna be completely taken over by this, right? Now, how does that matter? Well, in human terms, that means if they're putting in an abnormal gene into our kids that are of reproductive age and they are lucky enough not to be sterile and lucky enough to survive the, the, the jab and then they go on and have children, those children will have the abnormal gene, 100% of them, and their children, 100%. And so in 10 generations, the entire humanity will have this abnormal gene. Now, I haven't ever come on your program and quoted the Bible, but I'm just going to point this out. Um, it's not that I don't pay attention. The it, you know, I remember from childhood, I used to hate those, those stupid passages. I, you know, in Bible school, I said, oh, please don't make me read this one out loud. And it's all about he begat, he begat, all these horrible names you had to come up with. And, you know, this person begat, this person begat, this one, and it went on and on. But what, that was like Noah. And they, and, and why was that there? It was because Noah, who was saved on the ark and, and animals and everything, he could prove his providence. I mean, he was certainly not a saint. He, he, my understanding is after the, he got off the boat, he was kind of an alcoholic and wouldn't get dressed and go to work and his kids had to prod him. But he had like fine art, he had providence. Before you could do DNA testing, he could prove that he was a purebred human, that he was, he was this person, this person, all the way back to Adam. And it was 10 generations to Adam. So we're in the same genetic war that we see in the Bible. And it may be even the same people running it, I'm going to tell you. But so I put that out on my first substack. And then the second substack uh, was a little bit more of the same. I mean, it got, it got into a little deeper into this genetic alteration stuff and how the probably this vaccine was never intended as a vaccine. It always was intended to damage your DNA and to change you because 
there were some very big scientists that um, genetics, and I still I still have these available. I'll tell you how, but the just these scientists that didn't want to sign their name to the paper, but I can tell you by reading it, it's for real. These I couldn't make this up. Somebody that just had college genetics couldn't make this up. This is somebody for real. And they go through a lot of all the different gene banks, all the different databases for genetic sequences in the world. And they and they compare what, what Pfizer and the WHO claimed they put into these vaccines. And they put it out for the community, whether that even exists or not, I'm not sure, but, the, but it, I think it does now. But that sequence, the way it works is, so people know, to make a protein out of mRNA, the mRNA goes to the ribosome and then it 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 reads it like like a ticker tape, tick, 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 and it puts amino acid, amino glycosides on there, and it became becomes a protein. Well, these amino acids are coded, and you start at the start codon and you stop at the stop codon, like like a sentence. When you write a sentence, it starts with a capital letter, it ends with a period. If I take those capital letters and I smear them around in the middle of the sentence and I put periods all over the place in the middle of the sentence, you're not going to produce anything that's that's readable. Same thing with making a protein. If I put start and stop codons all overneath in that long, what they call a long open reading frame, you're not going to be able to produce a protein. Well, what these guys did is they took every base, they matched base pair or base to base of the what they put down, their blueprint, if you will, of this vaccine. It has this long open reading frame that is supposed to make the mRNA to produce SARS-CoV-2 spike protein in the body. That's what they tell you. That's the only thing they've told us because under emergency use authorization, they don't have to tell you anything. They just have to tell you what they're claiming efficacy of, and that's the part. So it's supposed to make the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, which is a pretty long protein. Well, this can't possibly do it because it has all these start and stop codons all over the place, it makes a lot of short choppy fragments. That would not give you immunity. But beyond that, here's the deal. Then they looked at what's in these. So those short choppy fragments are smaller open reading frames. Think of the Trojan horse. You've got a big horse. You've got a lot of little soldiers on the inside that are hidden. This is a big open reading frame. And now you've got a lot of these little open reading frames. What's it hiding? It's hiding a mutant measles sequence. It's hiding hypothetical proteins that don't exist in nature, only on a computer. There's no reason to put stuff like this in a vaccine. And the third thing they found, which is the creepiest, is gRNA. That's called guided RNA. And what guided RNA does, if you have CRISPR-Cas9 technology at work here, guided RNA tells it where to go. So where is it going to go? This is, and they looked at, they can tell, I think, I can't remember the name of the gene uh, database that tells you this. It might be the Sanger Institute. Don't you love that? But one of them it tells you what these guided RNAs are targeted to. And this is targeted to two human genomes. I thought it was five and eight, but I could be wrong about that memory-wise. But that's what we've got going. So I put this stuff out, and then the last one that I, I was going to put out was about the pandemic of 1918. And before that happened, Stripe, who does all the monetizing for the uh, Substack people said, oh, you don't meet our community standards anymore. So, wow. so if anybody wants to read this stuff in detail, um, I have my own private Substack like thing. It's on the on themedicalrebel.com, and I have my little Substack. And for a very cheap rate, you can you can oh, you can help support my work. You know, the, if we want to find truth, just follow where the censorship goes. That's the bottom line. That's exactly right. So this is amazing. All right, so you had mentioned this to me about three or four weeks ago, 
and the CRISPR um, Cask Nine. Is that right? Cas C A S. Yeah, Cas Nine. And I did do a little research on it. It's frightening because once yeah. it's in, it just it replicates at a hundred percent, like you're saying. Um, we were never meant to have it. No. So where do they in these in this uh, directed DNA that you were talking about? Guided DNA. Guided RNA. Yeah. I mean, guided RNA. Where is it going? I mean, I understand you're saying the, the the genome, but what what's the what do they think the effect is of it? Where it goes? Well, again, we don't know because what they're doing is, and and let me back up and say the other thing I learned is there. Are, this is made. This is all made possible by um, artificial intelligence and supercomputing and what's called bioinformatics. Bioinformatics is the ability to take the human genome and it's written code in ACGT, the different codes of the amino acids in the base pairs, and, and make them into digital numbers so that they can be read by a computer. In other words, they've, they've, they've figured out a way to convert the language of God's DNA into computer language, and they can now manipulate it. And it's estimated that somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 people in the world can now reprogram our genome on their computers. <laughs> you know? wow. So you have, and then one of the labs at MIT um, that's really big into this apparently, there's, at MIT they have a reference genome and they have, a, by the way, there were 13 open reading frames inside that big reading frame. And there are also 13 sample genomes in the reference human genome. In other words, they sampled 13 different people apparently, and put their genetic sequences up there. Once they did the gene, the, the human genome project, they got 13 people, I guess they thought had perfect DNA. They put them up there. I'm just saying it's funny that it's everything's 13. You know, you hear the 13 families, the 13 genomes, the 13 open reading frames. I guess it's all accident. But anyway, <laughs> they put this all up in this, in this bank in MIT. And it's been, now it's being said that these guys, I don't know if it was in this paper, but someplace, somebody else, they're starting to see some of these people are starting to squeak. They're starting to get some moral character a little bit. And somebody said they are actually slowly changing those genomes. In other words, they might be perfecting them or doing things that they think would make them better. So the, the so-called human reference genome is no longer the reference genome. And I think of it like you know how Norway has the seed bank in case the whole world, very smart people, the Norwegians, they saw what was coming and they, they don't want us to lose the ability to have real natural food. And if these psychopaths GMO everything, we don't have a natural food. And it's, again, the point with CRISPR-Cas9 is to point out how hard it is to stop that once it starts. So we have GMO potatoes, for example. Well, what's the chance of keeping GMO, non-GMO potatoes alive if they're cross-pollinating and things. Now, with potatoes, not so hard, but I can tell you with corn, they say it's almost impossible to keep the GMO corn out of non-GMO. So I'm sure it's with a lot of things. Anything that's airborne, bee pollinated, that kind of thing, it's going to transfer. This is crazy. This is a big mess. It's a big mess. Well, they've created, the, the curiosity I have is, do you think that they've, you're getting the intended consequence, or do you think right now we're witnessing something that is out of control and they don't really know what to do with it? Well, I think here's what I, 
and this is, again, this is my opinion, and I'm not trying to be an apologist for Trump, but one of the things I keep hearing is, why does, why did they push it forward? Why did he get on board with this, you know? And this may not be the answer to that, but it does make some sense to me. Let's suppose that there were people in the background that knew what was coming. They knew about this. They knew what this COVID was all about because, let's face it, we own those bioweapons labs, okay? So if we had if we had good guys in the middle of the NSA, we knew about this stuff and we paid the bioweaponeers, which is why, um, you know, every time I hear Dr. Malone on something, I always say, okay, if I'll believe you, if you tell me who the bioweaponeers are, unfortunately, he's one of them. So there's a bunch of these guys that, that were paid by DARPA, paid by DTRA, paid by CTR, all these guys. And and when I start hearing the names, then I'll believe we've got we're going forward. But anyway, we know them. And my and my point here is that. Um, oh, now I lost my train of thought. I got thinking about Robert Malone and it just made me crazy for a minute. <laughs> what was I saying? What was I saying? All right, let me think because we were you were on a really good roll. You were you, you, oh I asked if there was if this was intentional. Or oh if yeah, if it was intentional, yeah, yeah. Or if, they, if they've lost intent. control of it. If no, lost I don't. So I it was the thing about Trump. So here's here's the thing is that okay, let's suppose you're an assassin. Obviously, you don't want everybody. You don't want to give somebody a poison and have them drop over right there. It's like that. I can't remember what they gave, but it was polonium, that polonium assassination. Right. That was beautifully done because it took a while to figure out it was actually even an assassination. They got sick and they got in the hospital and then finally it was figured out. But the assassin was long gone. Well, I think, what if what if the story was they, you know, notice how the timelines have gotten shortened that they've all, we, we started 20, it was, it was reset or something, 20, 30, um, Agenda 2030. We always talked about 2030. Yeah, yeah, Agenda 2030. But then it got moved up, and Klaus Schwab kept saying it was getting moved up. And then it was 2024 we wanted to have everything done by. Well, so let's just say that suddenly, for whatever reasons known to them and not to us, they really needed to push this thing forward. But then when they, when they started doing it, they were forced to be even quicker because the, the, the powers that knew about it pushed them forward even more said you you know and they got it out so they they stuck this stuff out there real quick and here's the deal i think they had perfected i can't prove this this is just my my supposition i think they'd perfected the genetic modification part of this i don't think they'd perfected the delivery system the delivery system was the coating made by novavax called matrix m that's the lipoprotein particles the nano which you keep hearing about the nano lipoprotein um they, those were toxic. They, they have cationic lipids in there and some things that are known to be toxins. And I went back into the basic science literature when people were working with those things and they weren't, they, the bugs weren't worked out. If you read, if you read vaccine research, they'd say, oh, we're doing great. But if you read the basic science stuff, they say those things, gosh, they cause clots, they cause all this stuff. And we just and, and we just can't if we this would be great for immunology and for vaccines if we could work these problems out. But before they worked them out, you saw the, the literature just kind of stopping in 2018. It just kind of stopped. So I think at that point they realized, oh, we're going to have to get this out sooner. And um, and I don't think they had all the bugs worked out. And that's why I think you're seeing people drop now in favor of that is the postmark what I call the post-marketing dose re, uh, response curve that you see with Pfizer. If you look at the Pfizer release, um, it's re, this is what Craig Partacooper did. And, and there are all these, if you've seen these pictures of the, uh, they're a graph of time, the lot numbers toxicity. So 
the lot so the time goes on the horizontal axis and the vertical axis is toxicity and then they have it grouped by who's letting out the vaccine and then when you come to the pfizer vaccine it's very interesting so the first group that's released is very toxic it's way up on that vertical axis and it's a group of dots the dots all represent different lot or these lot numbers that have this high toxicity but they're all grouped like a great shot grouping in a bullseye right they're just all sitting up there and then there's a pause where everything goes to the baseline you know think placebo and then the next group of pfizer stuff comes out and it's slightly less toxic but still pretty well grouped they change something and then it goes down to baseline again placebo then the same thing happens over and over until they basically get it to baseline so it looks to me like what happened is they were forced to roll this stuff out. A bunch of people started getting clots, you know, strokes, heart attacks, you know, all sorts of bad stuff. And they, they realized they had a problem, but they didn't quite know what it was. So they, 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 they tinkered with it a little bit and then they tried it again. Up, oh, still weren't there. Then tinkered with it some more, tried it again, and they got it down. And so think about if that hadn't been an issue. See, it's those clots and, and, and strokes and heart attacks that were waking people up that wouldn't have been awake. I mean, I know the basic science literature. I figured it out from January, February of 2020 when I started seeing what was happening, what they were talking about doing. And I said, there's no way in heck anybody should take these type of technology vaccines. But I was one voice in the wilderness and there were a few others of us. But it was what really started waking people up was when people were dying and it was getting recorded in the VARES. And other people that might have taken it suddenly said, mm, maybe I'll just wait a little while, see what happens. And I think that helped a lot. So That's I don't I, I think they didn't know what was complete. I don't think they had it completely worked out, but I don't I think they have it under control now. But I think now, quite frankly, um, it doesn't really matter. I think right now, except for the children, I mean, anybody that vaccinates their child now, given the data that is already available, should be prosecuted for child abuse. I mean, it's horrible. So, um, in fact, I've got the actual data. Um, Kate Shimarani, a nurse, you know, in uh, in England, sent me this stuff. And it's from it's you can find it on the internet, but it's from the um, the ONS data from Britain, and this is this is specifically about children, and it shows that. Um, and the government, so the government knows this, okay? They may not write it in th these terms, but they know it because it's their data and they're not stupid, the, the actual statisticians. So if your COVID vaccinated children are 4,423% more likely to die of all causes. That's all cause. That's one of those things you can't really, you know, mess with the data. You know, you, you're either dead or alive. So when you look at children that are dying, that if if they've had the vaccine, they are four thousand. The the vaccine is more is overrepresented by four thousand times. In other words, if you don't, if you because kids when they're little, this is all this is kids. They don't tend to die except you know freak accident and a couple other things. Then then of COVID nineteen, the risk of dying of that if you've had if you're um, vaccinated is thirteen thousand six hundred thirty three percent more than the unvaccinated children. Now why would that be? Again, I'm telling people. 
there's we need to stop we have to really rethink this is i guess my big thing with people we ought to get out to people i think i'm putting in my own terminology but somebody can come up with maybe something better we have to start to stop talking about covid this was never covid makes us think of a virus this is not a virus there are no variants there's um there's nothing going on here like that we started with a spike protein toxin that was spread around and made people sick probably with 5g added and so we could talk about spike protein toxicity because that made people sick right away. And when you take the vaccine and you get, you die of these COVID-like symptoms like they did in Israel when they first rolled out the Pfizer vaccine, if you were over 65, you had a 40 times more likelihood of dying of quote COVID, the disease they were vaccinating you against. So if you die right then, it's probably because you're being showered by literally trillions. They know this. They say this. Literally trillions of these spike proteins are being made in your body. So if that's true, then again, if that's what this is really all about, then that's spike protein syndrome. If the spike protein exists, if that's if whatever it is, it's the vaccine production that's doing it. Then the next step of toxicity is the actual vaccine toxicity not related to the genetic agent so that's just you know vaccine toxicity that's like having anaphylaxis or the clots or the whatever and then the next segment of to of death is from immune collapse now immune collapse is what's giving you the cancers what's which i think are turned out to be parasites probably but what's making people sick later including monkeypox and by the way i just truth this out today i'm vindicated because the guy who he's a um, what what was he? He was a an Israeli, I think, bioweapons guy. I mean, he was he was in the Israeli military medical department. Um, anyway, and and it's about monkeypox. And this is what I I, had to, I just had to say. I told you so. I said, who has been saying from the first cases reported that monkeypox isn't from little airborne flying unicorns, but it's from vaccine induced immune collapse? Oh yeah, me. <laughs> I said that. I know it's kind of tacky, but anyway, Kanakoa Substack. He's got a nice thing here on how the the, the Twitter censors uh, the Pfizer injured Israeli COVID vaccine director, and this guy Shmuel Shapira. He's the one MD, that just got banned on Twitter. Right, right. He's an MD, MPH. He was a colonel in the Israeli army. He served as the director of the Israeli Institute of Biologic Research. And what does he say? He says. It's no virus. It's the, the, the immune system collapse. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not happy for that, but I'm happy I was right. It's, it's not, I mean, the monkeypox is a complete scam. In fact, pox viruses are all immune collapses. That's really what we're seeing. We're not seeing a virus. What we think of smallpox and all these things, it's just your immune system. You're offloading stuff with your immune system. And you can't you can't handle it because you got overwhelmed, and that's what's happening. I've got a couple things for you to think about. Let's see what your response is on this. Yeah. So, from the adult point of view, not the children. Yeah. The entire injection is almost like looking at an IQ test, and <laughs> and when you look at this, and and this is kind of a dark interpretation, and it gets back to kind of your place with Trump a little bit, but. The whole principle, this is on a global network we're dealing with, a global cabal. Yeah, yeah. And in order Absolutely. to save humanity, you're going to need people who can think on their feet. You can't have obedient slaves. Right. So in a certain sense, you could even frame it biblically and talk about it as an exodus, literally, which I do regularly. It's an exodus, right? That's, that's actually good, yeah. Okay, so if that's the case, 
and you knew this vaccine was coming. There's no stopping it. This organization, when we look at one man being President Trump, there's no way he can stop that freight train. There's right. no possible way. He, 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 and they're pressuring him in 2019 to sign that EO for ex- rapid development. There's a lot of these components that are just not possible to stop the more that I look at this. So if you know that and you've known that you've spent a good portion of your five years at that point trying to tell people the media is your enemy and you've done what you can to get a base of people that are thinking for themselves with a variety of different programs, yeah. which would include early Q, you're going to have to try to accelerate it to, to expose it, but you're gonna, it's not going to be able to be stopped. And here's the irony, can I kind of go to this, is I hit one point always when I discuss this, which is April, May of 2020, when he literally had DHS head of S&T, Science and Technology, telling people how this thing can be cured with alternative therapies. Light therapy yes. to run the blood through. Uh, we, had, we had chlorine dioxide. The media lost its mind on that. He even said, you're going to be fine in the summer because it's, you're going to have, it's going to be the sun. We'll kill it no matter what. Okay. Nobody listened. I didn't say nobody, but a large portion of people didn't listen. The holdouts that did listen, that didn't execute on the mass, didn't support on the vax, they become your kind of on-your-feet listeners and the revival for humanity, to be quite blunt. that's Those are the ones that you need. You're right. And when you look at the die-off now and you look at what groups took it, isn't it ironic that 95% of the liberal class took the doggone vax? And I know they are, they are the, the progressive liberals are your obedient, emotional, violent class. And I, I mean, again, it's not something you're saying here, waving your hand at going hooray. But the fact is the data shows a pattern here that I don't think we can overlook. You're exactly right. And l- let me tell you, the, 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 the ultimate, well, maybe not the ultimate, but at least one of the, the big um, like poster uh, shows for this is the gay community. Okay. So. The gay community took this vaccine because they and and now they've got monkeypox. Ninety-five percent, you know, um, and and to use uh, Tedros's words, he doesn't call them gay. He calls them men who have sex with men. They they're having this. The, the outbreak of monkeypox is in them. There've been five deaths. He's declared a world pandemic. Okay. We didn't even do that with AIDS. Well, let me just point out what that is all about. So they took the vaccine and about six months later, they're starting to get monkeypox. Now, again, just what the Israeli doctor said, this is immune system collapse. Why gay men? Because lifestyle, various things, they they can have some, some hits to their immune system to begin with. So they have an immune issue kind of going on, but their real failure is that they, they have inordinate trust in the government. So no matter what they tell, they do it. And unfortunately, they don't get the point they're being exterminated. I don't think it's by accident. They, They went to the, you know, years ago, the other thing is how many people, um, remember when Dr. Fauci and the other people involved in this from the NIH and places went to six or seven big big cities in America to test the hepatitis B vaccine on the gay community and then six months later AIDS showed up oh nobody nobody seems to remember that well that's exactly what happened so now they're doing it again yes, they are. and you know the other sad thing about that is when those guys were dying taking that AZT there was a group of people who were t- were researchers that were giving them selenium 
And those guys weren't progressing from positive tests to AIDS. They were just, they were doing okay on selenium. Now, it's interesting that selenium, that's what I put in my immune stack. Um, selenium is, has been known for a while. So, you know, again, we haven't heard truth from our leaders and they've been purposely killing these guys. It's time for them to wake up. I mean, you know, they always want to think of the, and I get it, there's, there's, a, there's some, you know, they're not flocking to the Republican Party and the Republican Party isn't flocking to the gay community, the, the conservatives. But the real fact of the matter is that's where you're going to find the truth about this. You just can't listen to the media that are killing you along with the you know, along with the Democratic Party. Well, let's dig into Plaxovid because from my research, Plaxovid's got two components in it and they all, they're different names from an actual HIV drug. But what I can tell in those two elements, it's a retrovirus drug and it is Plaxovid is actually an HIV drug under a new name. Is that what you've found? You know, honestly, you probably know more about it than I do. I'll be very honest. I've quit looking at the details of stuff like that because I just said, I'm not buying toothpaste from these psychopaths and I and I'm not going to recommend anybody take anything and especially not a retroviral drug any anti listen the way any antiviral drug and look at what's happened to if it's really happening what they're saying to Biden and these other people but they're already the hand coming puppet? out the hand puppet yeah yeah the hand puppet if you can actually be alive enough to get the vaccine to get the Paxlovid the you know the what they're already saying though is that people that take it are 40 percent more apt to get COVID again so i mean it's all a bunch of lies you can't sort through it but what i can tell you is not a lie and that is that these antiviral drugs are based on the theory that your rep your cellular replication is slower than viral replication and that the vi so that this will kill viruses quicker than it will kill you it's just a race against time and honestly, I'm not taking any drug, but that's really the theory. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. All right, so let's let's get into viral theory because this is oh, a big man. one. I'm, I mean, I think from you were kind of the one that opened my eyes to it. I've done some research, not as deep as I want to yet, but I'm now going towards the parasitic model and the bacterial model, and pretty much it looks like viruses have been completely invented and there's no such thing. Is That's kind of my premise. Woohoo! We got you on. We got another warrior for the. Uh, well, let's just say this. I mean, the, and, and I again, I love Sherry Tenpenny. She's my good friend. And we've, we've gone round about this. And I think she, even she's maybe coming over a little bit to my thinking that there's a lot of there's a lot of people that have been on the right side of this vaccine fight, but don't want to get into that because they think it's a distraction. They think it's not. But I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, this is the linchpin of this whole thing. If there are no viruses, obviously, there's no reason for a vaccine program. Now, you know, and, and um, I think Steve Kirsch is a really smart guy. I, you know, I read his sub stacks all the time, but he's really embedded in these, you know, not, not at all on our side on this one. And, but when I looked, when I talked to him and when I've looked at what he's, his argument is, and there are a bunch of these guys like this. I've looked at the literature, it's the same thing. Their entire argument really stems from two things. One is, uh, well, but we can see the genetic sequences. Okay, well, okay. And the next one is, well, if it's not viruses, what is it? <laughs> That's not the way you look at these things, okay? That's to me not logical. What you have to say is, first of all, um, you have to not just look at whether or not 
you can, you know, seeing is no excuse for not thinking. In other words, just when I see these little blebs on an electron microscope, and, and I did work in electron microscope lab, and I can tell you the, the there's got to be artifact we put in there because we do horrendous things to the tissue to get them to the point where they can be seen on an electron microscope. And what, what, so the first thing is, do these little particles even exist? Well, what, what Stefan Lanka said was, when you, when you do the process that takes the, the cultures and gets them to the electron microscope, it's identical whether or not you inoculate the, the material. Okay, so that tells you that these things are being produced probably artifactually. Now, more to come on that. That's not my, my deep dive on this, but that's what he says, and I think he's probably right. He's been looking at this for a long time. The second point that you have is a whole bunch of people out there who believe in viruses because they were trained in microbiology or in something, and they start their work by looking at the EM. But see, an electron micrograph, a picture of something, doesn't tell you function. It just tells you a picture, like a man with a bag in his hand and he's standing in a bank. Is he about to rob the bank or did he just make a withdrawal? He needs the bag because he had a lot of money and he's, and he's peaceful. You don't know. All you know is this little thing that looks like a virus to, by their this little round thing with some genetic material and a lipoprotein coating is sitting there on a still life picture. You don't know where it's going. But the thing that the big deal I think is that's been missed for a long time, and these, this is why I've been doing the 1918 dive. The big thing, and there's, and by the way, I missed one part of that genetic argument. The big genetic argument is you can't, this is like putting together these viruses genetically is like taking a jigsaw puzzle. And these are the exact numbers they use to, to create COVID really. Taking a jigsaw puzzle with 57 million pieces, you don't have a picture, you don't know the size, but you're supposed to put it together and then you claim you have, and you can only have 30,000 pieces at the end. Give me a break. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things I'm not buying. But the final point is, is that you got to prove that it makes people sick, that it can be transferred. Now there's two ways. I mean, there's basically two ways to transfer things. One is through, and I'll, one is through the air, where I don't have to touch you and you don't have to get in contact with anything that I've touched, that you can be a random stranger and walk into a room 10 feet from me, walk out, never touch anything, didn't get any fecal material from me onto you through microscopic transfer or anything, and you can get sick, meaning it comes through the air. That's one way. And the other way is through touch. In other words, I can transfer a toxin to you. Now, there's no question that I can pick up toxins and I can transfer them to you. Cholera is a good example, or um, Ebola, or whatever. That I can, I can get some something that's bad, whatever that is, whatever we determine that Ebola is, whatever it is, we can get something that's bad, and we can smear it on us, and then smear it on you, or bleed on you, or spit on you, or you know, do something like that, have sex with each other, that kind of thing. We know transfers things person to person. But the idea of airborne transfer of little submicroscopic particles, essentially we've accepted the idea that we can't, we can't really prove these things exist by, well, they're too small to see, okay? And to see them, you have to make, do this procedure that I just said has a lot of logical problems in it. So we can't really see it. We believe it exists because people are getting sick and then we can't prove transmission. 
And that's what I really looked at in 198. This whole, I personally think 2022 is a redo of 20, of 1918. <laughs> or 2020 was 1918 Redux. So here's what they did in 1918. They really did try to prove what transmission was. They couldn't figure out what this disease was. So they, they took the sick and dying people. And this was done by the United States Public Health Service in Boston. They took 118 volunteers um, and they put them and they put them face down. They didn't touch the patient, but they took them by, put their mouth next to the mouth of the, of the, uh, the sick and dying person. And as they exhaled, as the dying person exhaled, they inhaled and tried to breathe in their breath without touching them. They couldn't transmit it that way. They did that in 118 people, zero transmission. Next thing they did is they took the nose uh, swabs and they took throat and, you know, throat and nasal fluids. They swabbed the sick and dying. They put it in the well, didn't transfer. Now, then the, then the final thing they did, and this is really kind of a serious risk considering that the, uh, we didn't have antibiotics at that time. They took this nasal goobers and lung stuff and they spun it down in a centrifuge and they purified it, I guess, some way. So they got all the cellular debris out and it was just a fluid and they injected it into the well people and couldn't make them sick. Now, similarly, I, oh, and by the way, horses were getting sick. They put nose bags on horses. They couldn't, they transferred them to well horses. They weren't getting sick. So it's not like some human psyche thing. But here's how, even today, now I don't know if you saw this, and I don't have her name. Um, I'm going to try and get it. But there's a lab, there was a, there was a lab that was given $1.5 million by the NIH to study 1,500 samples of, eight, of, of COVID patients, test, COVID test positive, they called them, patients, samples. And they not only couldn't see it, couldn't find it, did all the preparation, couldn't find anything but cellular junk, but when they injected this fluid into ferrets, which is the best animal model of coronavirus illness, they couldn't make the ferrets sick. So what, what I'm just gonna say here is, regarding, you don't have to get too deep in the woods, in my opinion, looking at the genetic you know, you know, that's, it's complicated to look at how they do these genetic alignments and primer, you know, testing and all that kind of stuff. If you can't prove transmission missability, there's something very wrong here. And in, in China, if you remember, there were 10 million people that they, they traced. They, big in, in Wuhan, they traced the asymptomatic housemates, people living with sick people, and none of the asymptomatic people transferred it. So again, what is this saying? There's something very wrong with this whole whole picture. And then the question, then the argument from these non these people that absolutely believe in the virus. And I hear it from doctors, I hear it from patients. You can't tell me there are no viruses. We got sick and we all got sick together. Okay. But you gotta remember that there are other things that can cause people to get sick in groups. If we all went down, if, if your family, my family, 10 people go down to a restaurant and two days later we start getting sick and then some people get sick three days later and four, we all start getting sick, what would we think? We wouldn't usually think that, okay, somebody gave us an airborne um, flying unicorn submicroscopic invisible thing and we all got sick. What we would think is we all got food poisoning. So we're in a world of toxins and we're just not looking at them. Okay, 
that is a big thing that you can trans we know that you can transfer toxins so that's one and especially food toxins things like that the other thing is now we're in and the same thing happened in 1918 is the electromagnetic frequency stuff that's a big one now that is a huge one and i can tell you that in my city i could see that when they called about a second wave in august of covid I did start getting calls. I went like four months in the summer. I didn't get any calls. And then in August, I started getting calls again. And one of my patients, actually, I mentioned to her about this. She actually said, you know, they just came down our street with these 5G towers. And by the way, did you know they go up by your office? <laughs> you know, so it was the people that were getting sick went right along that. And um, so I, I'm just saying, and that's not enough to, to prove anything. But if you go back into 1918, it's very, very interesting. And that is that um, the, there were several observations made. And the first thing is that people didn't get influenza prior to the uh, laying down of seasonal influenza. Influenza would come up every 10, 30 years, whatever, and, and it would be worldwide. And it, this is another thing that you can't that that doesn't this whole viral theory doesn't explain you get a sudden outbreak of worldwide disease and they had these documented well there was a um and this is when there was there, in the age of wooden ships and iron men where you couldn't sail that fast you couldn't transport it that fast it was almost simultaneous around the world they were but a winnipeg astronomer and i think another astronomer and this guy from oxford a mathematician they got to they they all published and there's been several publications since then showing that those epidemics, those pandemics around the world of, quote, influenza, which just means influence, they perfectly coincided with the um, sunspot, sun flare activity. As the sun became more active, it, it charged our atmosphere and we got sick. Now, what happened in 1918? Well, to get ready for the war effort, what did we do? We, uh, we were teaching guys to use the telegram. The 1918 pandemic started in Fort Riley, and there were three things that happened just like now. Bad drug, bad electromagnetic frequency, bad vaccines. And the, the electromagnetic frequency was a big one because they suddenly laid down all these telegram lines, and suddenly people started getting sick to the point they called it telegrapher's disease. And Arthur Furstenberg talks about this in his book. But you can also, I went through and found all these, these newspaper things about it. There was a Toronto um, walkout of telegraphers in 1907. There was a lot of different things that happened. But they recognized that it was, it, it was people getting sick along the telegram lines. And I actually learned from a, uh, a, a guy, and I can't remember his background, but he told me they got rid of the problem by doing a long, slow twist of the telegram wires. It helped. Well... It was also noted by the doctors, and I found this in a war archive, that it wasn't the scrawny city kids that were getting sick. It was these big, healthy, burly farm boys in 1918. Why is that? Well, because they had not been used to any electricity. They were coming from the farm hills of Tennessee or someplace. The city kids were already around electricity. So they had been slowly adapted, and the body responds to rate of change. So there's a lot, but the vaccine, and I'll tell you, I, and, and this is, uh, I, I got to tell you, you, you know, we always, people want to blame Bill Gates and the, and the Gates family for a lot of things. Well, there might be an actual reason here. Um, let me see if I can find this. I just want to, I want to give you a little bit of background on, the, on how the vaccine came to be a problem in the, uh, in the 1918 uh, so-called non-pandemic. And what did I do with it? Oh, I lost my thing.
isn't that weird? Well, can't find it right now, but the, um, I will tell you this, that the, the, uh, oh, wait a minute. No, I just did find it. I did find it. Okay, let me just, I just got to tell you this, because this is too, but I don't want to miss the, the data. So the story is that there's a guy named Frederick Lamar Gates. That, that I could do by memory. There was a guy named Frederick Lamar Gates, and he was, um, he was, in, he was, he was like selected or elected to every Ivy League university, but he went to um, the University of Chicago, started at the University of Chicago, and then he transferred to Yale. It, and I only bring this up because at Yale, he was awarded the Andrew D. White Award, and Andrew White was a member of the Order of Skull and Bones. So Gates graduated with honors from later from Johns Hopkins Medical School, and then when the war broke out in 1918, or 1917, when we entered the war, he volunteered for the Army Medical Corps. Now, I was nine years as a Navy medical officer. Trust me, when you first get out of your medical school, you don't suddenly get this kind of a job. But he was commissioned as a first lieutenant, and his first job was he worked on the Rockefeller Institute staff. So why was that? Well, it turns out his father, Frederick Taylor Gates, was a personal assistant to John D. Rockefeller. Now, we all, you know, most of us in medicine that are kind of disgusted with our profession know that the, the Rockefeller Institute took over the medical education and did all these things that caused, caused the pharmaceutical industry to be the predominant thing. But it wasn't necessarily John D. that did it. It turns out he was actually a um, kind of a, a natural healing kind of guy. But Frederick Gates convinced him that he should get involved in medical education, that by, by beefing up and standardizing medical education, you could do research and you could really help people. And specifically, they were worried at that time about hookworm. In other words, parasites. That was the big, they recognized that parasites was the big thing back there. Well, so they set up, Gates in, in 1901 had set, had designed the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research and um, and set up the Rockefeller Institute. So Dr. Gates, it, I looked up his memorial. Uh, it said in his memorial that he gave lectures to military groups. This is when he got it in 1917. And he was assigned to visit training camps in the interest of preventive medicine. What it doesn't tell you is that he had to be down at Fort Riley, Kansas when this all broke out because he is the only investigator on a paper that he subsequently published exactly about that. But here's what happened. So the, keep in mind that the real height of the pandemic was in 1918, and it was very localized in various cities, and especially in Fort Riley, Kansas, where it broke out. And it really kind of peaked in October and then was dead by, by November. So in May, they set up an army medical school in Fort Riley, Kansas. And shortly thereafter, they had an outbreak of typhoid fever, 525 cases. Now, I that that might have come back because they had been down in Panama. This is when the Panama had, had yellow fever and typhoid fever and all that sort of stuff. It might have been natural, but but think of what happened in the Ukraine when we went over and stood up those bioweapons labs and every time one would stand up, there'd be an outbreak of weird disease like hantavirus was one of them, magic uh, fever, all sorts of weird. So I'm kind of suspicious of the typhoid fever, but can't prove but at the time, the State Board of Health gave 9,000 free shots, and you know the military got vaccinated for it. Yes. Months after that, they had an outbreak. Now, in the real world, meningitis outbreaks are one in two people. It generally doesn't, doesn't become a big, like, you know, we think of this as a horrible disease and you hear about outbreaks, but it's not 
a thousand people. Okay, but the Namist army in Fort Riley area estimated 40% of their active duty members came down with meningitis. Okay, that just can't happen. So to me, it says, okay, here we have one of the neurologic complications of these crude vaccines. And these were crude vaccines. Um, they were partially homemade. So once again, though, the Army's response was to make these even this more crude homemade meningitis vaccines beginning in January of 1918 and continuing about till March. And guess what? Then at the uh, at, at the in, then by April or by uh, I think the first. Let me just think when the first. Yeah, that's uh, the. Uh, yeah, it's about in August, I think, was the first um, cases. Oh, here it is in September. Yeah, in September and and um, well, actually in March even. So they finished in March. In March, they had five students at the at the Haskell Institute, which was a Native American school that got um, that died and 457 were ill with a disease called streptogrip, which sounds grip is like the flu. But strepto meaning throat is just like mm -hmm. what we're talking about today. They get this down with a kind of respiratory pulmonic disease that they were being vaccinated against. And so and it wasn't it wasn't a big, big front page news or anything. But when you in, in by eight by October, they had like 7000 cases in statewide in Kansas of this so-called pandemic. It really wasn't a pandemic except among the military. Now, the um, and, and it's very it was a very acute up and a very acute down because I think it makes you look like there was some insult that started this and it came and went. It's not like a natural disease; it kind of lingers on and hits people over time. So and 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 by the way, we've never seen it since. There've never been a flu with that kind of lethality before. Well, uh, Eleanor McBean, who was a children child at the time, she became a doctor later in life, and she made this observation. She said she and her family and other members of her church people, they were religious people who they didn't take vaccines, but they were well, and they went and volunteered in the town and in the and and to help these young cadet these young uh, military guys. And she said the only people dying were the vaccinated. None of us that weren't vaccinated got even a runny nose. Yes, history repeats, doesn't it? I mean, it is exactly. It sounds so much. And I'll tell you the even worse repeating is when we look at mainstream media. You know, you saw, you've probably seen that thing that Alex Newman and mm -hmm. other people do. Yep. It's a video that has a collage of all the talking heads and they repeat. Yeah. So it's like right, we right. thought they were independent news, but they're all talking the same exact same words. Well... I thought that was just in the digital age, but so now with optical character recognition, we can they can digitize these old newspapers and you can search them, and that's what I've been spending my weeks doing. And when you do that, what you find, I put in two words, pandemic and influenza, and I went from 1917 to, to, 20, to 1921, and, they, and it comes up, so it pops, it populates your search by, so that all these papers showed up within about a month dated from each other. And I couldn't believe it. They were all exactly the same words. No, I'm not kidding you. They were just like this talking head thing, all the same words. The only difference, and this is kind of cute, the only difference was that in the age of linotype, they had different types. Of course. Because they were all hand typed into the, into the paper press. Unbelievable. Can you believe that? I mean, 
And, and I learned this from Kate Daly. I didn't figure this out. She's the one that started me on this newspaper trail. But she had gone back and she said, if you add up all the counties in America, it doesn't come to anywhere what they're telling us in numbers. They claim now like a million people or 500,000 to a million people died in 1918. She said, nowhere even close. I'm, I can't, she said, I can't even come up to 100,000. Wow. And I found, I found that Boston was the, was a, I found a, an article saying Boston had 5,000 dead and it was the third biggest death city. It doesn't, it, this, this was not a pandemic. And I, and I, and to your listening, I just would love to hear from anybody who has a family history of somebody dying from the pandemic. My dad was a physician, 13 years old at the time of the pandemic. He became a researcher, taught at Harvard, did all these different things, MD, PhD, DDS. And he, he, um, he never mentioned it. It wasn't on his radar. And I think he would, he taught me about everything else medical. So What's going on here? Well, it's obviously media is complicit all the way back, and it's 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 been the engine to keep everybody in the dark. Let me read this to you. This comes from Mercola, um, and it's actually analysis by Tessa Lena on August fourth, twenty twenty two. It's just interesting in the discussion that we were having just now. I'll just read the story at a glance. Bullets. There's five of them at the top. Parasites, though. Parasites through release of co complex chemical cocktails employ mind control techniques and that put politicians and alphabet agencies to shame. Some parasites know how to zombify their hosts, change their gender, make them alter their behavior and appearance, and even commit suicide. The better-known mind-controlling parasite toxoplasma uh, Gandila, yeah. Gandhi, tricks yeah, infect cats. What is it? And that's from cats. That's a common one. Cats pooping in sandboxes. Okay. People get them. Change their gender. I'm sorry. Uh, tricks infected rats into being attracted to cats. The parasite's <laughs> final host. That's pretty crazy. People infected with toxoplasma tend to act more reckless and distracted. And there is a strong correlation between toxoplasma infection and schizophrenia and other mental disorders in humans. And the final one here, behavior of biological parasites offers insights into social interactions in human society and highlights the importance of protecting ourselves from predators, both physically and spiritually. Wow. Well, I think they've hit it right on the head. I've come to the, you know, ancient medicine had two things that they did, purification and detoxification. Now, they didn't understand parasites, so I'm going to say modern medicine, what we should have just added was parasites, uh, because the rest we got, that, the, rest, the rest makes sense. But the, um, yeah, you know, there was, a, there was a, um, a series of 10 autopsies by, I think he's in Colorado, the pathologist. Anyway, he did 10 autopsies, sequential autopsies on MS patients, patients with multiple sclerosis. And, you know, we claim that when we make the diagnosis of MS by looking at the MRI of the brain and spinal cord and that it shows these plaques and we call them plaques like we know what those are. Well, he discovered that 10 out of 10 of those people that died from MS with these plaques actually had parasites in the brain and on in their spinal cord. So we have we have uh, and probably everybody has parasites you know in egypt if you or me and you we 
under a parasite program all our life. They're, they're really into the parasite stuff. I mean, they're the kings of parasites and we just don't do it. So this is a huge thing. I think it's what I think it's why young people in the military right now they take the vaccine. It damages. It damages or what? And this is why him. it's so your immune system, their immune system, because see, here's what's happening. Let's say you have parasites and years old. You probably don't have too many encysted egg sacs. The par the mother parasite may live in your gut or may live in your bloodstream or whatever, but they lay eggs every day. But those eggs don't hatch until the mother parasite or unless your immune system dumps, okay, unless you lose your ability. So all these eggs go out and some of them become, uh, you know, they go in your bloodstream and they get into your muscle or your brain or your liver or someplace and your body's immune system recognizes them and keeps them in check, keeps them kind of under, so it's like, it's like the, the Roman legion, you know, you get too big an area you got to patrol, you suddenly can't patrol Rome. Well, what happened to us is that when you get, all or like a computer that's got too many programs working in the background you can't take care of the new one that you're supposed to run so we are constantly if you have a lot of parasites you have a lot of immune system is being taken up vigilantly patrolling again break out of these these egg sacs to produce more parasites you're, you're guarding against that but you can only do that so much so as as you get older what happens is they start growing these egg sacs start growing and we call them, I think, metastases. We call them cancer. I think we're going to find out that's what's going on. And because why don't they want us to, you know, look at all the underground um, treatment programs and the NIH, or the PubMed literature on parasitic drugs and the benefit to cancer. It's not that it just helps cancer treatment. It's that it's treating the real problem, which is parasites. I, I've come to believe that. So you think ivermectin then can also cure cancer, or we shouldn't say that word, well, can address the... Cure, yeah. So the issue is, how, are they are they all effective equally? Do they, they probably all have an effect. The issue is, do they cross the blood-brain barrier? So for example, there's different families of par anti-parasitic drugs, but if you notice, there's, there's a bunch of anti-parasitic drugs that they really, really, really don't want us to use. Uh, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, um, uh, nitazoxanide, which is the bomb, I can tell you. Nitazoxanide is my favorite anti-parasitic drug because I tried to treat people when I was in the military with stuff that had, had tapeworm, and you can't get rid of beef tapeworm, and this gets rid of it in three days. And then is chlorine dioxide. I mean, they really, they put the Grenons in jail for two years just for talking about it. They weren't even, you know, recommending COVID treatment with it, but it's beyond just the COVID thing. They don't want us to know about that because I really think what's happening here, one of the ways that the COVID probably this toxin killed you is it damaged the vaccine for sure. It, think about these young guys, because I hear about this from my military doctor friends, that they're, that these guys come in that had no history of cancer, were in perfect health, they take the vaccine and now they got cancer, not in one place, but all over them. Okay, but let's just think, guys were deployed somewhere, they've been around animals, they've been in jungles, who knows? And now you damage their immune system. Bodies were just keeping all these parasites in check, and now they've all broken out and they call it cancer. I think this is going on. And I, my, my vote to anybody that has this happen is, go get, you can get fenbendazole over the counter, you oxonide overseas, you need to stock up on this stuff. Think about it. I just, I'm not, this is not official. This is what I would do if it were me. 
So, Patriots, that concludes part one of the interview with Dr. Lee Merritt. Part two will play tonight in lieu of Fishers of Men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've come together, the blessings that we constantly have in bringing together great voices, great minds, and people just fighting for truth in this world. We just ask that these interviews that we bring will just help to and continue to open people's hearts and minds, giving them eyes to see and ears to hear the real truth that surrounds us and the challenges that face us with this pernicious evil. Father, we ask for your blessing as we stand boldly in the face of this evil, never to bow and to continue to fight and push forward to understand truly our mission, to occupy, to expand, and subdue. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots, again, part two will play in lieu of Fishers tonight. I think you'll really enjoy, as this interview continues, we go to a lot of places and we talk about a lot of things, but once again, just a great conversation to open our minds and consider the great possibilities of what faces us and how to navigate through some of the maze of deception. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you in the next hour this evening for a second part of Bards FM. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait, But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. 
the energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 